0: Welcome to the French History Podcast. My name is Gary Chirhaut. Episode 2. In the beginning, there was France. Welcome back. Today, we are going to begin our incredible adventure across the history of France. I am incredibly excited for today's episode because today we are going on a journey across the Pleistocene Epoch, which began 2.5 million years ago, long before there were people in France, and ended around 11,000 BCE with the warming of the climate. The Europe of this era would be unrecognizable to our modern eyes, and more closely resemble the Star Wars ice planet of Hoth than present-day Europe. This was an intensely cold time in Europe's past. Ireland, Scandinavia, and most of Britain were almost entirely covered in ice. Those parts of continental Europe that weren't covered by glaciers were mostly tundras comparable to modern-day northern Siberia. Not only was this an extremely cold period, The shape of Europe was far different than it is today. Due to intense glaciation in the northern parts of the world, the sea levels were much lower than they are today. France and Britain were connected all across what is now the English Channel. This stretch of lowland reached all the way to Denmark. The land that we call France during this time had a tundral climate tundras are ecozones incapable of supporting trees and instead are covered in dwarf shrubs grass moss and lichen due to the subsoil being permanently frozen inhibiting trees from laying down deep roots temperatures in a tundra regularly drop to around negative 30 degrees celsius or negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit and can get to negative 50 degrees Celsius or negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit. These are harsh lands. Due to the wide open spaces without any tree coverage they are constantly buffeted by strong biting winds meaning that with the wind chill these areas can be far below the temperatures I just listed. During summer, the permafrost relents just long enough for small plants to grow before colder weather wreaks havoc on the plant life. These lands are sparsely populated by animals conditioned to survive in extreme colds, namely arctic foxes, polar bears, elk, musk ox, anything with a thick fur coat. Woolly mammoths used to roam across France, but died out sometime between 10,000 to 5,000 BCE, partly due to the changing environment and partly due to overhunting by humans. Just imagine, at this time Paris would be a wind-swept tundral plain where woolly mammoths would march over. For most of the Pleistocene Epoch, northern France was too cold for human habitation, as most humans preferred the south. However, some human ancestors, such as Neanderthal, may have lived in northern France as early as 40,000 BCE, 30,000 years before the Pleistocene Epoch ended. Southern France particularly bordering the warmer Mediterranean, was known as a taiga or boreal forest. The closest comparison to today would be in middle to northern Canada. Taigas are capable of hosting tree life, as most of the year the ground isn't frozen. Taiga temperatures are around 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit in summer. Wintertime temperatures vary, but they are well below freezing. Due to the cold weather, taigas experience little rain. Taigas are dominated by thin trees due to the relatively poor soil and cold, which is inhospitable to oaks, maples, elms, and other trees found in temperate climates. Very few food-bearing plants grow in the taiga, though wild berries remain an exception. Animals in the taiga require some kind of insulation, including fur or layers of fat. Bears, hares, wolves, coyotes, beavers, types of birds, all live in the taiga, while there are relatively few reptiles and cold-blooded animals. If you don't like snakes and don't mind freezing temperatures, this is your ecozone. Around 20,000 years ago, the glaciers began to seriously recede into the northern reaches of Ireland and Britain. Until around 12,000 BCE, France extended northward into Britain, because at this time, the British Isles was in fact the British Peninsula, stretching northwest out of Europe. To the east of Britain was a low area called Doggerland, which stretched almost halfway to Denmark and connected with Denmark during the height of the Pleistocene's glaciation. Because Doggerland was near sea levels, it was marshy and swamp like with numerous peat bogs. It was home to many deer and woolly mammoths and served as a hunting ground for both Neanderthals and humans before rising sea levels forced the inhabitants to flee to mainland Europe or Britain, which was quickly cut off from the continent. All right, now it's time to bring early hominids into our story and talk about the first French men and women that arrived on this scene. It's worth noting here that geologists and historians have different overlapping timescales, Geologists like to use the term epoch, while historians use the term age, which isn't nearly as flashy as geologists, but we can't win them all. The geological epoch, known as the Pleistocene Epoch, corresponds roughly with the historical Paleolithic Age, literally Old Stone Age which stretches from 3.3 million years ago to roughly 10,000 BCE. Between 1,000,000 450,000 years ago, Homo erectus and Homo heidelbergensis lived in southern France along the Mediterranean and near the Pyrenees, with the very earliest hominids possibly living near modern-day Montpellier, as far back as 1.5 million years ago. These early humans used primitive stone tools, were hunter-gatherers, and lived in caves, while possibly constructing simple shelters. These groups hunted bears, panthers, and woolly mammoths in groups, while establishing primitive huts outside caves. Homo erectus was a pioneer of human development. They truly were the astronauts of their time. They were the first to live in hunter gatherer societies and develop language, and served as the largest delineation between humans as shapers of nature and part of nature. Homo erectus never truly died out, and instead, their descendants became Homo heidelbergensis. Homo heidelbergensis is a much closer relative of humans that were capable of using more advanced tools and had greater sociability. Yet, a major distinction between modern humans and Homo Heidelbergensis is that the latter did not produce art. While they possessed the mental capacity to organize and survive, better than their ancestors, their ability to develop abstract thought was far more limited than modern humans. As such, they did not leave behind cave paintings, sculptures, or monuments, and the artifacts they did leave behind are solely related to their struggle to survive. A prime example of this is found at a dig site in southeastern France known as Terra Amata. Around 400,000 BC, near modern-day Nice, is a small encampment capable of housing 25 people. Along with the settlement itself, archaeologists discovered a hearth showing that they had mastered how to make fire. Furthermore, this small camp contained cleavers and knives which prove that these early humans prepared meat. Now, the next in our chain of human evolution were the infamous Neanderthals. Neanderthals are thought to have arrived in France around 300,000 BCE and lived there until their extinction in 30,000 BCE. Neanderthals were of roughly similar height to Homo sapiens, being around 160 sen- uh, 66 centimeters, or 66 inches tall, for males, and 154 centimeters, or roughly 61 inches, for females. The major anatomical difference between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals was that Neanderthals had barrel-chested bodies and large limbs, which made them much stronger. A common belief is that Neanderthals were rather stupid, ape-like counterparts to Homo sapiens, but modern scientific study refutes this. Neanderthals possessed larger brains than humans, which doesn't automatically mean they were more intelligent, but they certainly weren't the dumb apes so commonly depicted in movies and television. Furthermore, their eyesight was probably better than modern humans. They also possessed precision gripping and created tools that were far more refined than those used by Homo erectus and Homo heidelbergensis. These tools were made of bone, wood, ivory, and antler, unlike the primitive stone tools of their ancestors. Neanderthals understood seasonal change, hunting elk in winter and horse and bison in summer, constantly relocating with their food supplies. These peoples were highly sociable and hunted and lived in groups. Today, scientists are engaged in heated debate over whether Neanderthals were capable of the abstract thought necessary to produce culture and religion. Those defenders of Neanderthals point to routine feather plucking, burials with flowers, and deep scratching on caves as evidence that Neanderthals had some rudimentary religious or cultural ideas. While these may mean Neanderthals had abstract thoughts, they left behind no monuments, meaning that we may never know the breadth of their intellectual capacities. Scientists don't know why French Neanderthals died out around 30,000 BCE. Since Homo sapiens arrived in Neanderthal-populated areas around 40,000 BCE, the earliest hypothesis is that they were killed off by these newcomers. Now, DNA sequencing has shown Neanderthals interbred with humans, so this hypothesis that humans exterminated the Neanderthals has lost some of its weight. One theory is that Neanderthals couldn't adapt as well to the warming environment. Moreover, if humans were better at hunting and gathering than Neanderthals, they may have unintentionally killed them off by eating up their food supply. This is a possibility, as archaeology has shown Neanderthals occasionally became so desperate for food that some resorted to cannibalism during periods of starvation. A recent theory that has been gaining traction is that humans had very little impact on the death of Neanderthals. Through genetic studies, scientists have deduced that Neanderthals primarily hunted big game such as aurochs, elk, bison, horses, and cave bears. Meanwhile, Homo sapiens had a much broader diet, which included hares, foxes, and other small species, and even fish and oysters. When the planet warmed, continental Europe became less hospitable for larger animals adapted to the cold. Keep in mind, when Neanderthals came to continental Europe, it was divided between tundra and taiga. Global warming heated the planet to such an extent that modern-day tundras have receded to the tips of northern Canada and Russia, while taigas are mostly confined to Canada, Scandinavia, and Russia. The climate Neanderthals were used to, and what their prey were used to, was disappearing quite rapidly. As a result, the slow-moving, meaty prey of Neanderthals was disappearing and being replaced by fast-moving, smaller animals. Humans ate pretty much everything that moved, allowing them to adapt, while Neanderthals' inability to hunt fast-moving animals meant they couldn't acquire a reliable food source. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor, Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, there's always something new and delicious to enjoy. With over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, Factor is your go-to for all your dietary needs. Cheaper than takeout, healthy, and easy to prepare, Factor provides all the restaurant-quality meals, snacks, smoothies, whatever you need, they've got it. And with food ready to heat and eat, you won't have to deal with the regular kitchen mess. Factor is giving out a special deal for our show's listeners. Head to factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50 and use the code French history five zero to get fifty percent off. That again is French history five zero at factormeals.com dot com slash French history five zero. Sign up now, your stomach will thank you later. One thing to keep in mind is that extinction for those in the human family known as homininae is more common than one might think. Nowadays, we assume that humans and our early relatives are categorically above most animals in their ability to survive, yet Homininone lived in a dangerous time and were often very few in number. A new disease, a mudslide, storm, tsunami, fire, could wipe out an entire tribe. Scientists believe at one point Homo sapiens numbered only 1,000 across the whole planet during a period where humans nearly went extinct. Consequently, it is this reason why humans are so similar across races, and any two human beings on Earth are more alike in genetic makeup than any two chimpanzees taken from different families in the same region. While many people ask, Why did the Neanderthals go extinct? Extinction for all animal species is so common, with over 99.9% of all animal species that have ever existed going extinct, including those in the broader human family. To scientists, asking why Neanderthals went extinct is probably a silly question, because nearly all species go extinct. Why Homo sapiens survived is a far more interesting question. Based on what I've read, it seems Homo sapiens survived into the modern era because we'll pretty much eat anything, something which I learned from personal experience. Five years ago, I went to the Orange County Fair with some friends to see an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, While there, one of my friends ate deep fried cherry Kool Aid. As disgusted as I was then, I now realize that this ability to scarf down anything is probably why Homo sapiens survived catastrophic environmental change and have since come to dominate the planet. But all the same, don't eat county fair food. Now let's talk about Homo sapiens. The earliest modern humans, known as Cro Magnons, were present in Europe 43,000 years ago during a long interglacial period of particularly mild climate when Europe was relatively warm and food was plentiful. The peoples of the Paleolithic were non Indo Europeans, probably migrating west through Turkey, the Balkans, across Italy. Before arriving in southern France, life for these early inhabitants of France was cold and grim. One Cro Magnon habitation was found in the Grotte de Rennes, sixty miles southwest of Paris. This cave was little different than a bear's, as the ground was littered with animal bones and there was no place for a fire the average early humans had a life expectancy of about 30 years, and that was only if they lived past childhood. At this time, women gave birth to around nine live children, and half of those wouldn't make it to 15 years old. If we include stillbirths, most human beings at this time didn't live past childhood. Without contraceptives, Fertile women were almost always pregnant and very often died due to complications. It's hard to say what the leading cause of death was for these peoples. They faced so much adversity between the extreme weather, their inability to combat diseases, starvation. However, anthropologists who have studied non-state societies found that murder rates are extremely high. Among Ecuadorian Amazons, known as the Weirani, 60% of all deaths have been traced to homicide. Among Blackfoot Plains Native Americans in the early 19th century, that number was about 50%. And similar numbers are found among numerous hunter-gatherer societies from places as distant as Papua New Guinea, inner Africa, and in Europe, such as the tribes of Highland Montenegro. Death was such a common part of daily life, and without any officiating body to arbiter disputes, it is possible that many humans who survived into adulthood died in violent conflict with other humans. But early human life wasn't all bleak at first. As the early French inhabitants left behind cave paintings and simple sculptures showing that these people were finally capable of the abstract thought required to develop complex cultures, language, and societies. Furthermore, they possessed egalitarian social structures, where food was evenly distributed among their members, showing that these early French dwellers could possess a great care for each other and believe their strength derived from the group rather than the individual. At some point, perhaps around 10,000 BCE, these early humans made tailored clothing. Though when exactly this began is hard to know, since these rotted over time. Around 30,000 BCE, humans created small stone statuettes called Venus figurines. Venus figurines are among the oldest works of art left by humans anywhere on earth and can be found in diverse places across Europe. These statuettes commonly depict a woman with large breasts, extending stomach, and very wide hips. Early theorists claimed that these statues were idols worshipped as fertility goddesses. More recent scholarship purports a far more fascinating theory. The new hypothesis is that these statuettes were carved by women, and they have their figure deriving from a woman's perspective. The theory holds that when a woman looks down at their own body, those feminine parts are accentuated and look very similar to the Venus's. This theory is particularly interesting as it would mean that women played an important role in these societies and created the first known works of art tens of thousands of years before men became artists, and as such, women played an integral role in the development of the abstract thought and capabilities of human beings and the foundations of our earliest culture. Regardless of what the figurines represented, or which gender made them the venuses show that finally a species had come along capable of the abstract thought necessary to create culture perhaps the crowning artistic achievement of the paleolithic era is the chauvet cave the chauvet cave located northwest of modern-day avignon Contain some of the oldest cave paintings in history, dating back to 30,000 BCE. The Chauvet Caves are remarkable because a landslide at the cave mouth preserved the paintings in pristine quality up to this day. While it is possible that there are older cave paintings in Spain and Indonesia, What remains of most cave paintings around the world are small scratchings and faded smudges whose images are lost to time. The cave-in at Chauvet miraculously preserved these artworks in a state not too dissimilar from those who originally painted them 32 millennia ago. These paintings are truly awe-inspiring. And I recommend watching Werner Herzog's documentary, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, if you want to see the remarkable artworks. Or please, at least do a Google search. Seriously, a podcast cannot do the Chauvet Caves justice, as these paintings are the Sistine Chapel of early human art. The cave contains incredible images of all kinds of animals, including panthers, bears, bison, lions, and elk, in dramatic poses. Even some extinct figures appear, such as mammoths, aurochs, and woolly rhinoceros. Furthermore, overlapping images portray these animals in motion, and archaeologists theorize that shadows from torches Created the illusion of movement. Adding to this theory of artistic design is that one of the animals is painted with eight legs instead of four, clearly depicting it in motion. This meant that these artists who lived 32,000 years ago already understood optical illusions. Due to the contours of the cave, the artists had to adapt their images across the wall's curvature, giving these animals a three-dimensional aspect. Further evidence of thought is present in the collections of odd markings and assemblages of dots that may have been the world's first abstract art pieces. One of the simplest and most striking paintings is an outline of a human hand, Surrounded by red dye which was blown across it while the hand was held on the cave wall. These humans literally imprinted themselves on the cave wall. Was the hand on the wall the first signature of an artist? Was it a claim made by the tribe to the cave? Was it a magic sigil meant to symbolize the spiritual connection that these humans had with the cave? We can only imagine. Interestingly, no full human body is depicted, although female genitalia can be found depicted in certain areas of the cave. Was this because the artists were women, like the sculptors of the Venus figurines? Or was this 32,000-year-old smut? Again, we may never know. All that we do know is that these images are among the most striking our earliest ancestors ever produced and showed that in France, highly developed, visually striking art predated every other non-subsistence venture. Art was the primary drive of early dwellers of France, while politics, law, and government only emerged tens of thousands of years later and may as well have been an inconvenient afterthought, an interruption in the pursuit of new forms of beauty. Over the next 15,000 years, hunter-gatherer tribes of humans created cave paintings at Cosque, La Lacau, and a number of other caves, leaving their mark in secret across southern France until their discovery millennia later. Alongside the paintings, carvings of animals on bones became increasingly common as early humans created ornaments, either for religious, cultural, cultural, or purely decorative reasons. Alongside the paintings, carvings of animals on bones became increasingly common as early humans created ornaments— either for religious, cultural, or purely decorative reasons. Around 10,000 BCE, most of the world's ice coverage melted, and the Holocene Epoch, which is the current epoch we are living in, began. Life in France became even more hospitable to flora and fauna and it was during this period that humans became more omnivorous and incorporated fish and other marine species into their diet. Ritual burials became more common. The Paleolithic era finally ended around 10,000 BCE with the development of agriculture. The new period, known as the Mesolithic or Middle Stone Age, saw enormous advances in human activity in France as humans became rooted to fixed locations. And it's here that we'll leave off. Next time, we'll look at France's megalithic structures, incredible stone monuments that predated the pyramids by thousands of years many of which are still standing to this day. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to visit our page and either make a one-time donation or become a Patreon, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for listening. Just two brands having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcast.